Well, we're continuing our series today about relationships, messy, sticky, good relationships. I get to talk about family. Let me ask a question, several actually. I'm going to ask for a show of hands. All of you are going to vote at some point, maybe more than once. How many of you are moms and dads right now and kids still live in your home? Okay, hands up, big and broadly, yeah, a bunch of you. Some of you are very old. You thought you were raising a straight arrow and you raised a boomerang. That's what, that's what happened for some of you. How many of you are grandmas and grandpas like I am? Well, I'm a grandpa, yeah. All right, yeah. Uh, how about uh, aunts and uncles? Aunts and uncles here, yeah. How about brothers and sisters? Yeah. How about you care that the next generation ends up knowing and following God? Yeah, that'd be, that'd be all of us. We are an old church. We are 86 years old, and we keep acting like kids and students are really important around here. We're dedicating uh, children and babies more than once a month now. We baptize every month. We are a church that is not acting its age, and it's because of some very important decisions that we have made together about kids. When our kids were toddlers, I had the good sense, though I didn't know much. I had the good sense to say, if our kids turn out well, I will not take all of the credit. And if they turn out not so good, I am not going to take all of the blame. You understand, right? We cannot talk in absolute terms about if you do this, your kids will be that. You've discovered they have a mind of their own. But you can give full attention to what you're doing. Now, I want for parents, I just, I feel for you today. You're not going to be on the hot spot. We're all in this thing together. I just want to relieve a little anxiety today. One of my favorite Christian psychiatrists has a wonderful quote. He said, If you are a family that includes an adolescent, have a high bar of success. Everybody survived. (laughs) Some of you have been there. So today, we're going to give some attention to to four things. First, let me just mention that it's hard to be a kid raising parents. It is tough. (laughs) It's tough to be a toddler. The world is crazy. All kinds of emotions are happening. Unprecedented experiences. The toddler just bursts in joy when she sees you coming home from work. And a moment later is horribly distraught because you put her shirt in the wash and she doesn't want to have the separation anxiety from that favorite shirt. And then she's playing with a friend or he is and, and all of a sudden the friend takes a toy that isn't even being played with now by your kid but was eight minutes ago and is angry and an outburst of distress that this toy was taking. The, it's hard to be a toddler. It's tough to be an adolescent. Hormones going crazy, body going crazy, friends going crazy. Now your friends, girlfriends that you grew up with are six feet taller than you are. It's tough to be an adolescent. And it's tough to live with them sometimes mm, as parents or siblings. A study done, I think, by the University of Wisconsin said that for young adolescents, they experience deep sadness twice the number of time as their parents. And they experience sheer explosive joy five times more often than their parents. Hmm. It's tough to be a kid. So when you're in the middle of life crazy, how do you try to make some sense of that? Well, for better or for worse, they tend to look up two or three or four feet higher into the eyes of taller people around 
to help make sense of what's going on. Today, as we talk about messy, sticky, good family, I want to do four things. First of all, is I want to tell you four big deals from the Bible. The second is I want to give you a few practical steps that you can do that. Third, I want to read a letter. Fourth, I want to show you a picture. And then we're going to stand and receive our offering and sing and go out and party in the lobby. Sound good? Thank you. Some of you are saying, can we get right to the picture? We'll be there shortly. We'll be there shortly. Four big ideas from the Bible. This is what it says, Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting with verse 4. Some of you could quote this with me. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. That's the word of the Lord. You can say amen with me. Amen. Well, do you think God's a pretty good parent? Got it nailed. Yep. How much do you think he wrote about parenting in the Bible? Everything he needed to. And for some of us, not nearly as much as we'd like, right? I think he knew that we would mess it up if we got it too complex. And so he gives us the few things to do that if we give our attention to those, leverage the greatest possible results for the next generation. I want you to notice, first of all, that the setting for this great passage. Moses is one old dude. He didn't even get started professionally until he was 80. And he's been at this for nearly 40 years. He's old. And he's been leading the nation of Israel around in the desert, and all the old guys are just about died off. There's like Moses left, and Caleb left, and Moses is about to die. And he gets the whole nation together, and he said, i got to tell you some stories. Because the people who experienced what life was like in Egypt aren't here to tell you. We're the last two guys to tell you, and I'm about to leave. So here's the story. This is the big deal. And you've got to take these stories, and you've got to tell the next generation, because they won't have experienced that either. And every generation has the responsibility to pass the stories about loving God on to the next generation. And you notice that he gives them a verb. It's impress. It's a Hebrew word that means to sharpen. It's used in the Psalms to talk about sharpening a sword. And it came to mean making a kid sharp. We use that in our vernacular, don't we? That kid is really sharp. What do we mean? She is smart. She's educated. She's developing. She's, she's really a sharp kid. The word to impress, to sharpen, meant to educate and to form a child so that she became something that was mature and fully formed. Moses said, I want you to impress this on your children. Whose children? Well, obviously the parents that had kids running around and they were trying to, this is a long sermon. This is the whole book of Deuteronomy, a long sermon, longer than mine today. It was for the parents with the little kids. But this is not a message to parents. This is a message to a community of faith. Impress these things on your children. 
And so today, if you're a grandma or grandpa or a brother or sister or a sibling, don't have kids, don't check out because this is going to be packed with some helpful stuff for you. Notice the four things that we're going to discover very quickly out of the Bible. Number one, love God with all you've got. Before you can impress kids, you're going to have to do two things. The first one is love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength. Before you want to make an impression on your kids, you're going to have to love God. Because if you love God with less than all you have, it's going to be half-hearted, and your kids may not love Him at all. Lukewarm faith is not very attractive. Jesus said in, in fact, in Revelation chapter 3, that it makes him puke. Yeah, I didn't make that up. Check it out. And your lukewarm faith is not going to impress kids either. In fact, it's kind of like having a cold. We'll do anything we can not to catch it. But a fiery love for God is contagious. And that's something that we're attracted to. In fact, if you have a contagious love for God, your kids will probably love God too. So first, you've got to love God with all you've got. The second thing to do about you is, it says, I quote, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your, where? Hearts. Yeah. So get God's word inside of you. Get it in your heart. Start reading the Bible every day. Feed yourself. We have a Bible reading plan. It's out in the um, journals that are available at Info Central. We have book cards. You can go online. What we do around here is we read the Bible every day. We journal. We think about it. We pray about it. We talk to one another about it. Get God's Word into your life. I start almost every day with devotions, and trust me, some of you don't think I'm all that nice. You have no idea what my potential is. If I did not self-feed, it would not be a pretty place. Now, you all know I'm not a morning person. I get up at 5 o'clock, someplace between God and coffee. I become fit for human consumption out there someplace, but not at 5 o'clock in the morning. I did stupid this week, stupid. I got up at 5 o'clock. I got my cup of coffee. I sat down with my computer. I opened up my emails. And somebody, none of you, of course, But somebody remotely associated with Evergreen sent me a nasty email. Can you believe that? Mm. And I thought to myself, that is so petty. You do not know what you're talking about. Out of all the things that you could have mentioned that would have been nice, you pick on that? Really? It felt judgmental and demeaning. And I did the responsible thing. I started typing my response. My heart rate substantially accelerated. I'm having aerobic exercise sitting there in my recliner and my happy lamp, and I am brilliant and fluid. And then I remembered my rule. Want to hear my rule? Never send an email when your heart rate is above resting. That rule has served me well. But I thought to myself, I'm not going to send it. I'm just going to draft it and keep it. But I had it already set up under a reply, and sometimes my you know, finger goes goofy on it, and, and I just said, no, I am not going to send it. And so I stopped, and I picked up my phone, and I dialed their number. Didn't have them in my contacts. Dialed their number, and I thought, I'm not going to send you an email, but I'm going to talk to you at 5.05 in the morning. I kid you not, I did this Tuesday morning. And it rang, and I got that, no, 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 we're sorry. The number you have dialed is no longer in service. And I thought to myself, I'm so mad I misdialed. I'm going to get it right this time. And I thought, maybe, maybe I'm slow, but I get, maybe this was my second chance to get this right. Mm. 
So I set it aside. You wouldn't believe this. Well, you would. I read Proverbs 14 that day. It was the 14th of the month. Proverbs 14, 29 says this. People with understanding control their anger. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And a hot temper shows great foolishness. Mm. Well, I had some journaling to do. This is what I wrote. Quote, Jared, if you have understanding about how things work, you'll control your expression of anger. And if you quickly express anger, you'll demonstrate dumbness, foolishness, stupidness, and other horriblenesses. That's what I wrote. Not very articulate in the morning, but I even run on. And here's my prayer. Lord, help me have understanding today as I deal with anger and not be foolish. Think that that's something that I could maybe pass on to my kids? Sure. Listen, here's the deal. Let God's Word get inside of you. Get it in your head and get it in your heart. Read the Bible. Reflect on what you're hearing. Write it down. Feed yourself. Before you try to feed your kids God's Word, feed yourself. So some of us were flying home from the pastor's conference. Thank you very much this week. And and we had the pre-flight inspection thing. You know how it goes? In the unlikely event of losing cabin pressure. You know what that means, don't you? Yeah, it's not good. In the unlikely event of losing cabin pressure, miraculously little limp things will fall out of the sky and you'll put those on. If you are traveling with a child, put your oxygen mask on first and then assist the child. End quote. Hmm? Same deal. First, feed yourself and then you can feed them. You have nothing to give that you haven't received. It's not as I say, not as I do. Feed yourself first. That's what he says to us. Got it. First, love God with all we've got. Second, we've got to get God's Word inside of us. And now the next two things they tell us to do are what we can actually do to the kids. So the third thing is impress God's Word on children. Here's the quote. Impress these on your children. Yeah. So we want to teach God's Word to our kids. Those that live in your house, those that you might share custody with, those that are part of the Evergreen community, that are in the Boy Scout troop that you lead or support, that are on the softball team that you coach, the kids that live across the street, the kids that are in your world, your grandkids, impress God's Word on your children. Now, this is really tricky. When you impress someone, what do you leave behind? Oh, you're good. An impression. Yeah. It was one of those hot, sticky, muggy, ugly August days in St. Louis. The bus driver was just about to finish his eight-hour shift. All of a sudden, there was this just angry young woman bursting out with a string of unrepeatable words. He looked in his rearview mirror to watch her and the passenger around. He saw that they all felt rather anxious and awkward at this string of profanity. A few blocks later, she disembarked from the bus, and as she was taking her steps down, the bus driver said, Miss, you forgot something. You left something. And she, still angry, spun around and said, What? He said, A very bad impression. Hmm. Oh, thank you very much. So I'll only mess with you from time to time. Warning, spoiler alert, here's one. You're always leaving an impression. The question is, 
Which one would you like to leave behind? And so he says to us, impress God's word on your children. Listen, you're always safe when you're talking about God's word with kids. And how do you do that? Well, it takes us to the fourth thing we're going to discover from the Bible. He says, I'm going to, and here's a quote, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. I think that means when you're riding in your minivan or your uh, SUV, when you lie down and when you get up. Here's the deal. Just talk about God's word all the time during the day. Just talk about it. Yeah. So you talk about it during the day because we talk about things that are important to us. So talk about it. Listen, spiritual education for children happens not best in a formal setting, but it happens best in the real-life context, just conversation during the day. So parents, here's God's seminar on how to be a great parent. Love God with all you've got. Yeah, Get God's Word inside of you and impress it on your children by talking about it. Hmm. So second part of this talk. That's what God's Word, the Bible says. Let's, let me give you a couple of sets of practical Practical tips on how this might work out for you. The first way to impress kids is by example. You, you all know that actions speak louder than words. I love this African proverb. I cannot hear what you say for the thunder of who you are. Yeah. Three important ways, tips that you can train your children spiritually by example. The first one. Impress them with your love for God. Be wholehearted about it. If you've got the fever, they'll probably catch it. There's no big mystery that all of my siblings love Jesus because my parents love God with all they have. Now, there's no guarantees about it, but the probability of kids ending up loving God from parents who are wholehearted about that is much higher than, than otherwise. Secondly, impress them with your commitment to spiritual growth. Announce when it's going to get kind of quiet in here because I'm going to mess with you for a little bit. I'll let you know when I'm done with that, and then you can kind of, you know, breathe a little bit because I'm going to mess a little bit with you here. Here's the deal, folks. There's no reason for kids that look up to you to follow God in any way other than the way you do. So I think about that. These are some things that have been helpful for me. Around here, we call it the 4G network. The first one is personal time with God, yeah. Daily devotions. I've already talked about that. I read every day. I've done it since I was in the eighth grade. Frankly, it is still not a habit. I wish it was a habit that I couldn't do without. It is a commitment and a conviction that I fulfill on a daily basis. Otherwise, it wouldn't happen. But it's important for me and to you as well. So you read and you write and you pray. You talk about it. Your commitment. And if your kids are old enough, begin to train them and teach them to have devotions and ask them what the big thing is that they're hearing from God out of that. We call that personal time with God. And then secondly, it's, it's the gather thing. It's about coming to church. And, you know, you're already here today. So there's like stickers on the way out. It's very cool. But it's, of course, you're here today. But l- let me kind of tell you a thing about the church attendance thing. Yeah. And why it might be so important for you to think about. Back millennia ago, God set up a, a rhythm of life. And the rhythm of life included that on the seventh day, that there was going to be a community time where we got together and we expressed our faith in God in a community context. He also con- included some other things along the way that families did individually, like a Passover meal or some other celebrations. But every seventh day in the rhythm of life, 
there was this community worship kind of a thing. Uh, shortly after the resurrection of Jesus, a bunch of Christ followers decided to make the seventh day the first day, actually, and Sunday. And so we in that Christian tradition generally tend to think about Sunday as the day. I don't know that one is more sacred than another, Saturday, Sunday, or Monday, or any other. But the point is, the cycle of life is sacred. The rhythm of life on worship on the seventh day is a part of God's design. So here's the deal. Old people like me, most of you have never heard this before. Old people like me remember when church used to be Sunday morning, Sunday school, and then there was worship service, and then there was Sunday night church, and there was Monday night church, and then there was peer group stuff. There were men's stuff, women's stuff, kids stuff throughout the week, and that was kind of the rhythm of life. And then at some point, Sunday school went away, and then Wednesday night went away, and then Sunday night went away, and what it left us with was Sunday morning, what we're doing now. Now, I, I'm not on a tirade. I have no complaints about that. I'm just making a cultural observation. So you want to know what's happening now in the culture? Church adherence is almost maintaining a plateau. In other words, people who are highly committed to their local church is not going down much at all in our country. But church attendance is plummeting down. How could that be? Well, those of us highly committed church attenders attend less frequently. That's what happens for us. So here is the monster challenge For parents that have kids at home, how are you going to treat the seventh day? That's a monster cultural challenge because there's nothing in the culture that is supporting a commitment and a conviction practice of your family being a part of regular weekend attendance, is there? Because there's sports stuff and there's team stuff and there's traveling groups and tournaments and then there's the recreational stuff. And then God gives us a day that's going to be like 77 degrees today. And here's the deal. Families in our culture are committed to going to school regularly. If you have kids tomorrow, the kid says, I don't feel like going to school today. You're going to say what? Yes, you. that doesn't matter. I don't care how you feel. You're going to school. Why? Because we have a commitment and a conviction, right? And then for you to go to work, because you're going to say, I'm going to work today. You're going to school today. Why? Because you have a conviction and a commitment. What happens on the weekend? Increasingly so in church community is, what's happening this weekend? I don't know. What are our options? And it becomes a matter of convenience as an option to choose from rather than a conviction that leads to a commitment. I'm getting preachy, aren't I? I'm the old guy up here wagging the finger, right? I wanted to tell you how to interpret life right now for you because, parents, you have a mega challenge about how to build the gather thing in because here's the deal. You come twice a month, your kids might come once a month or probably not at all. That's the stats of where things are going. Just be thoughtful about your modeling of regular attendance with our own kids, we just did that. The Roth family goes to church on Sunday, and so we did. We also made the same kind of thing, for example, about summer camp for the kids. It wasn't a decision we made on an annual basis. We just do that. It's like the decision we made about tithing in our family. It's just We make a decision, and we just live it out. And what I'm encouraging you to do is when it comes to God, gather, give, and group, is that you have conviction and make commitment and model that for them. Okay, I'm done with the meddling thing. Ready for the next deal? Pressure's off. Take a deep breath. Here we go. Impress them with your humility. (laughs) Uh, Your kids are smart. They know you're not perfect. They know that you're not going to be perfect. And they really like it when you acknowledge that. So here's the deal. We are messy. We are broken. We're imperfect. You're imperfect. I'm imperfect. They're imperfect. Let's get that. Let's just get that out of the way. And in your imperfection, impress them with your humility. Ask for forgiveness. Acknowledge your failing forward. And in their humility, they're going to discover a life lesson that will serve them well. Not of perfection, 
You can't model that, but of humility that finds its way forward. Hmm. Admit your failures and, and ask for forgiveness. So, this first set of things to impress your kids by example, love God, impress them with your commitment to your spiritual growth, impress them with your humility. And then this, the second set of helpful tips. Impress your kids with God's word. Talk about it. I came from a family that loved God passionately, served him consistently, rarely talked about God's word outside of a formal setting. And so it's difficult for me at times, just as a matter of life. Many of you, like me, need to learn this habit of becoming more comfortable and conversant with just talking about it. Maybe these will, three tips will be helpful for you. Talk about what you've learned in your devotions. You say, kids, you know, I, I got mad today and and I, and I read this proverb, and look, at what does that proverb seem to mean to you? And this is what it meant to me. And if your kids are old enough, ask them, what's the big thing that God showed you today in your devotions? Secondly, talk about what you've learned at church. What an amazing opportunity. You're going home today, and you're in the van, and you wouldn't do this, but, but I know what goes on in some vans on the way home. And for sometimes, it's the parents doing a critique of the service. That music was too loud. The music was too soft. I don't know what he was. He didn't even wear his sleeves down. He can't take his shirt in. He didn't even wear the kids. The, what? You made a messy little bunny thing, and you got the messy little glue thing on the upholstery. of the, Where are we going to go for lunch anyway? All right. None of you. The rumor is out. Yeah. So what's the, what does the kid learn? What does the kid learn? I go to church for... 70 minutes on Sunday, and we do the church stuff, and we go into the van, and it doesn't make a damn difference. Hmm, yeah. Now, is that the intention? Of course not. But it's the thoughtlessness that doesn't create the bridge from the experience into life. Yeah. So it kind of be cool. You know, there's a little bunny, and the glue's getting all over the upholstery, and, you know, you want to talk about that, but you say, oh, honey, what a cute little bunny. That's not a bunny. That's a, and then they tell you what it is. Oh, now I see that. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's what that, oh, that's beautiful. That's you, Picasso. You're amazing. And they say, oh, what's that little uh, thingy about? And, and somewhere, drill down with the kid. Somewhere you're going to get there with him. And there's this, there's this gem of a godly principle, a life lesson, something that comes out of the Bible that they, they go, oh, that's so great. Kids are older. It's on the way home. What did you get out of the message today? Well, not much. Well, what was the little thing that he said that you remember? Well, I don't remember any. Well, let's think about it together. You got to go mining for this stuff. And then tell your kids what you, what God said to you today. Listen, if you talk about what people did at church, it's not going to be good. I'm old. I'm not attractive. I don't speak all that well. I spit. I use words that I shouldn't sometimes. I tell about all my foibles. Don't talk about me when you go home. Huh? I'm not going to help your kids. You keep them from me. I'm in the lobby and you find another exit. I know how that works. God, God speaks to you when you come and he speaks to them. And you come and you say, this is what I think God said to me today at church. Whoa. Whoa. That'll rock the world. And then finally, talk about life. Teaching moments. You're watching TV or a movie with them or you're streaming a video and all of a sudden, whoop, something inappropriate pops up. What do you do? Freak out! The world's going to hell in a handbasket. It's right there! Yeah. Yeah. You've got to be a weird parent. You can do that. 
But if you take that as a teaching moment, so I wonder what God thinks about that. And I was thinking about it. Use it as a moment to talk about what God thinks about that. Yeah. When your kids get in a fight with each other, they fight with a neighbor kid. Good time to talk and listen to them and then talk about what God thinks about that behavior. How to handle What does God say about Jared handling his emotions when he gets mad during the day and turning into a fool? Yeah. Oh, and by the way, if you have little kids, when they get their first girlfriend or boyfriend, you'll have a world of teaching moment opportunities. So woohoo! Hold on for that one. That's going to be awesome. So here it is. Impress your children by your example of love for God, your commitment to spiritual growth, and your humility. Huh? And then impress your kids with God's Word by talking about what you learned in your devotions and at church and in life. And last, impress your kids. You are their primary spiritual teachers. Yeah. We're all here, Evergreen. We're here to support parents, but we're here to come alongside You're the primary spiritual leaders. I know it can be awkward. I know that you can feel like I don't know enough and I might mess it up. Here's the deal. Tell them that and it's humility and then practice some of the things we've talked about today and just be real about that. And here's here's the other deal. We want for you parents to be involved regularly and periodically in your kids' classes here for two reasons. Number one, we want to invest in you. When you are engaged in our world-class, stellar kids' ministry, you are equipped and you discover creativity and opportunities and pathways that will make you a better parent, not just teacher. And secondly, we want you to be engaged in your kid's life because we want you to invest with us in caring for these kids that God has made us stewards of. So what happens when you impress your kids? Well, they'll probably grow up to be a lot like you. It's a little scary, I know, it is. Families are messy. Families are messy. We're messy. We're broken. We're not perfect. We're messy. But we can, we can find our way forward. I told you I was going to do four things, the third of which was to read a letter. I hope this gives you some hope, especially if you're, if you've got kids at home. Hmm. This is from our daughter, Hillary. She sent us this letter this last week, and she's 31. She's a mom of two kids. This is what she wrote. Dear Mom and Dad, I'm so proud to say, by the way, I got her permission to do this. You respect your kids at every phase of life. I asked for permission. She knows her dad. She said, of course, I knew you'd want to anyway. I'm so proud to say my parents have been married 37 years this month. I'm forever grateful to you for your love, discipline, encouragement, support, selflessness, and faithfulness to serve Jesus and each other all these years. Thank you for demonstrating God's love and grace to me as a child and continuing to do so as an adult. Thank you for investing in and being steadfast in your marriage, putting each other first aside from Jesus. I recognize the sacrifices you made, Mom, to give us what we needed most, love, nurturing, and instruction. Although you worked much of our growing up years, I always felt like you were there and present for every sporting event, school activity, or church event we had going on. 
You are creative and resourceful, and it, it's amazing to reminisce the memories of family vacations and youth camps and, and to know that all those memories were a gift from you. You both did without certain things in order for these memories to be made. And I, I never felt pressure or stress or uncertainty that was, that was probably there. This is where the greatest gift you gave me was evidenced. The faith that you both have in Jesus has carried you through your marriage to this point. It carried our family through every twist and turn in the road. Your love for each other grew amidst adversity. You taught Jordan and me to trust Jesus and to turn to Him in every circumstance. You instructed us in the ways of God and His Word. And you taught us to love the church and to trust Jesus as our sustainer and provider. What an amazing blessing to be able to look back on His gracious provision for our family. And we're thankful that that even as grandparents, you're investing in our kids in the same way you invested in Jordan and me. Your marriage is rooted in the wisdom of God's Word, and your 37 years of marriage is a testimony of God's grace in our lives and an incredible example to our family and kids. And then she quotes from the Bible, Psalm 78, starting with verse 1. All my people, listen to my instructions. Open your ears to what I am saying, for I will speak to you in a parable. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past, stories we have heard and known, stories our ancestors handed down to us. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about His power and His mighty wonders. Our ancestors taught these to their children so the next generation might know them, even children not yet born, and they in turn will teach their own children. So each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting His glorious miracles and obeying all His commands. End quote. Thank you for your love, support, and encouragement. Thank you for leading me to Jesus and teaching me what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Thank you for investing in me. I love you. Hillary. So here's the deal, church. You parents of adults, you may never get a letter like that from a kid. You, like I, may have have more regrets than you ever dreamed possible in your life. You may, you may not be a parent. You may wish desperately that you had a children you've never been able as a couple to conceive. You, I don't know where you are in life about your own kids. Listen, you, you may never get a letter like that from a bio kid. Here's the deal. I stand as one of your pastors at Evergreen, and I want to tell you, there's hundreds of kids and students that come through this place every week. This is, this is my hope. This is my vision with you. Can you see this? That 20 years from now, that hundreds of kids would write that letter to Evergreen. Your children. Impress these things on, on your children. May it be that evergreen kids beat the odds. The odds that kids that grow up in church today, 70% of them, when they leave home, they leave church. Some of them connect later. Many of them do not. I want every evergreen kid 
to be a student here that says, when I leave home, the first thing I'm going to do is find a good church to be a part of. I cannot imagine leaving home and leaving church. I can't imagine living life without a community of faith and meaningful friends and the group that I've been a part of and the life that that means to me and growing and maturing in Christ with the context of community. I'm going to leave home, but I'm not going to leave the church. That's my hope forever, every evergreen kid. And folks, we're in our 87th year as a congregation. We're old. We're supposed to act old. We're supposed to act like like my mother-in-law's generation. Anne today isn't here because she's in Yuma, Arizona, beginning to drive Bonnie back home. When Bonnie shows up in her 87 years of glory, she's going to turn this church upside down for the next six months until she leaves town. You know that she is a spitfire, full of life, lives with us. She's the greatest mother-in-law in the world. But she comes to Evergreen knowing that this church was not designed for her. When Bonnie comes home, she's going to be serving. She's going to be serving the next generations because this is a great church for great-grandparents to be a part of if they find their place and meaningful purpose in serving next generations. I'm a grandpa. I'm an old guy. This church was not designed with me in mind. I can go home and I can complain. The music was too loud. They didn't pick the right stuff. Marley, I don't get it. The construction of the songs. Why don't you let me sing one of those choruses back there that was like three chords of a guitar and four words. That's where I really, it was not designed for me, but it is a wonderful place for boomers to be. If you find your meaning and purpose in being of service to the next generation, because we have decided that we're going to be a church that comes right out of what God said is important in Deuteronomy. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And listen, listen, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. And we'll change the world through the next generation. Told you I was going to do four things. Talk about the Bible. Give you some helpful hints. Read a letter. Here's the picture. Life is messy. You've had dreams and so have I. They were dreams for a future that was going to be perfect and pristine. The eraser would never need to be used. The end of the pencil would never not be sharp. It was going to be gorgeous in every way. You were going to get married. He was going to love you for life. She was going to be absolutely beautiful. You were going to have 2.3 kids. They were going to be beautiful and attractive and smart and leaders. They would never need to have any kind of discipline. They would never give you heartbreak or grief. Life did not turn out that way for you or for me. Life is broken It's a dark planet. It is a broken place. It is messy. We're goofed up. And guess what? Kids are messy too. Babies are messy. Toddlers are messy. Adolescents are messy. We're messy. Families are messy. Life is broken. What do we do? In Christ, there is our great hope. You'll never rewrite your history. Your history is done, but your history is redeemed. Your past is forgiven. It is not ignored, but it is restored. And it's not restored to make you a cute, perfect Christian. It's restored with scars and wounds that speak of God's glory in your life where he has taken the broken places and he has somehow redeemed that to cause something to be even better and more productive out of it. You may be a broken pencil, but you're twice as valuable as you were before. Let's thank God for his goodness. And if he spoke to you today, would you applaud him for what he said to you as we end our time together? Amen. Amen. Well, I have some good news. Ushers are going to come and they're going to give you an opportunity to give money. 
The second piece of good news is that Anne's going to be here next week, and she's going to be talking about messy, sticky friends. You might want to bring some of those folks with you. That would be great. Some good news for next week at 5 o'clock, and then at 6 o'clock, two great events for all of you who are Evergreen volunteers. We call it Leadership Huddle. Huddle, 5 o'clock, a great meal together, 6 to 7. Ann and I just do some kind of casual conversational training about leadership, some of the things that we're currently leading as well. Women, on the way in, you received an invitation. Don't be offended. That's for women who are age 6 through 106. I think that that probably includes you on the Saturday before Mother's Day on uh, May the 2nd, a great, great hour-and-a-half event for you right here. Check it out. Get some more information at Info Central. Let's pray. God, help us love you this week like we never have before. Help us hear your word and internalize it and live it out like we never have before. Give us the courage to make next steps forward, even though we're nervous about that. Give us the courage to speak the truth and to tell people what we're hearing from you and learning from your word. And help us be a community that's worthy of the hundreds of children and students that you've entrusted to our care to be aunties and uncles and moms and dads and brothers and sisters and grandmas and grandpas and help them grow up to love you even more than we do. We give because we love you and we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Javier, you are like working those drums today. I think we should stand. Let's sing. Let's give.